Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda, floating in a pod, Baby Yoda. Hello, welcome to Chronically Podcast in our discussion of the magician's nephew, the quote unquote first book of the. <clears throat> of the Chronicles of Narnia series. We are reading through this book chapter by chapter and discussing it. So if you're joining now, um, why? Uh, This is chapter 13. My name is Kristen and I'm here with my co-host. I am a bird. Larger than an eagle. My breast saffron. My head crested with scarlet and my tail purple. Also, I'm Chris. Yeah, I call him Chris. Um, (laughs) And I am a toffee tree. (laughs) This is going to be an interesting discussion. Can I perch in you? I'm just going to go in the wind. I don't know what noise I make. I just know that my eye is barely open. Sounds about right. Wow. Anyway, so welcome back. Uh, we are almost through with this book, Kristen. We're we're in the home stretch. I know it's also ten days till Christmas. It is ten days till Christmas. We're 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 close. Merry Christmas to all of our listeners out there. Uh, hope you haven't started opening your presents yet. We have another one coming out before Christmas, we so have you don't one. have to be like. Okay, well, I can marry. What's the Merry Christmas? You, twice. Well, you don't have to make comments about their presents. Well, they they exist. Maybe. <laughs> Some weird people have done all their Christmas shopping by now. The smart ones. Uh, see, I just, just order drop- everything <laughs> online. Or I just say, sorry, I couldn't afford to get you a present. Yep. <laughs> just get people a card that says, sorry, couldn't afford a present this year. But here's a card. No, I just... Christmas. If I'm going to not get someone a present, I'm not going to get them a card. <laughs> like, but it's the thought that counts. Bro. I don't have time for that. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, what we do have time for is a podcast, though. That's what we're actually here to do. <laughs> so if you're uh, joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, go back and listen to the first 12 episodes for sure, because that's going to make a lot more sense. We'll just skip episodes uh, three and four, because they're bad. Uh, yeah, sure, do that. Um, but we start out with going through the chapter, and we've picked out five sentences that we think tell the story of the chapter in a very summarizable way. And uh, we read those just to get a... It's bearing on where we're at, so Kristen, if you want to go ahead and read your sentences. All right, here is my five-sentence summary of chapter 13 of The Magician's Nephew. When the travelers reached the top, they walked nearly all the way round it outside the green wall before they found the gates, high gates of gold, fast shut, facing due east. Diggory himself understood at once that the others wouldn't and couldn't come in with him. By the time he had reached the others and was shouting, Quick, get on, Polly! Get up, Fledge! The witch had climbed the wall or vaulted over it and was close behind him again. What has the lion ever done for you that you should be his slave? said the witch. He walked up to Aslan, handed him the apple and said, I've brought you the apple you wanted, sir. Very nice. So you uh, almost went for more of like a fantasy setting. 
oh, for I, this one. N- well, that no, I just it just seems very like my aim was to hit specific plot points. Like he had to enter the garden alone. The witch was there and was being sassy and tempting mm. him. Like I had to fit that temptiness in there somewhere. That was the part I was struggling with. Yeah. And then, yeah, he brings the apple that Aslan requested to Aslan. Uh, mine went a bit of a different direction, as of I usually course. do. Of course. Of course I did. But we have a first today. Not only uh, we have chosen the same sentence a few times in our summaries, but this time we have chosen the same sentence in the same place. And I think that's never happened before, which I think was fun. Um, so here is my summary. Whoever's maintaining the wiki can correct us. Yes. Uh, <laughs> starting my summary. It must be the place, said all three. A terrible thirst and hunger came over him, and a longing to taste that fruit. All this flashed through Diggory's mind in a second. Then he took to his heels and ran for the gates as hard as he could pelt, the witch after him. What has the lion ever done for you that you should be his slave, said the witch. What's your game? See, I, I I don't like that, y- like, when you do your summaries, I like, I just don't like them. That's all. I, I just, I don't, like, 13 episodes in, I'm finally telling you, I don't like your summaries. I, I thought mine was good this chapter. It was really easy for me. I thought I did well hitting the, <laughs> hitting the points. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. No, I think, I, I, you did well, but, like... Usually what you do is go for like moments and feelings and impressions and this time you actually did a little bit more of the plot but like you ended it on what is your game which within the context of your summary doesn't come out clearly as a line from Diggory. It kind of feels like it's a witch line and it is Diggory's line. Like if you know that it's Diggory's line it makes Mm. a little more sense but you also don't get to the critical point of Diggory actually getting the apple back to Aslan. Mm. which I feel like is the whole point of this three-page chapter. This yeah. is such a short chapter. Mm-hmm. My, my my thoughts on that were we open the next chapter with Diggory having a conversation with Aslan about the apple coming back. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that next. We don't have to say that it happened here. Okay. Uh, anyway. Uh, but we also interrupted, you know, the scene with Uncle Andrew over two chapters <laughs> and we're like, here's two pages of it and here's two pages of it. Well, we don't have to talk about it. We did. Uh, so anyway, uh, this is a really short chapter, uh, though I feel like there's still a bit to talk about. We're going to get real deep into our theological discussion again, I think, uh. <sighs> because chock full of allegory here. Um, but let's, uh, since I'm the person that does the, you know, the plot breakdown in these chapters usually, let's, let's start out. Um, first, we have a toffee tree. I was so excited that there was a toffee tree. I don't know why. Because it's like, at this point, the creation part has been done. Like, Narnia... Sorry, I dropped my pen. Narnia has been created. It is It is finished. It has mm-hmm. been in, endowed into the hands of... Uh, imbued? Imbued. Imbued into the hands of the creatures that are going to be running it like they've been given voice and commission and Mm -hmm. um that word that we couldn't remember three weeks ago i still can't remember now um tasked this no no we're not doing this again nope (laughs) um and then we have 
um, this task being sent for commission. No, I said commission. Okay. Um, mandate was the mandate. word that I came up with three weeks ago, and you didn't like. Um. So they the the animals have received like kind of basic control of Narnia, like though Aslan is still there setting up this protective thing for Narnia, and he has asked Diggory to be a part of creating that protection with some fruit that he has to go get or whatever. Yes. And um, I lost it. I have no idea what I was saying. How did... No, 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 no. How did I get here? You were talking about mandate. Oh, Oh, the creative energy. The creative energy is still in play here to Uh some extent because... I, I didn't expect the toffee tree to grow when they planted the toffee. Like, I wanted it to grow for mm. their sake, but I expected it not to because, like, the young lamppost is grown. The the animals have come forth from the ground. Like, yeah. the creative energy that we saw at the beginning, the song is over. Basically, the song is not being sung anymore. Yes, but, and, and here's where I throw in my good soundbite for this episode. I think... This is an important little passage, even though it's silly, and we talk about toffee fruit that grow out of a toffee they planted in the ground. I think this highlights the idea that creation is not a process that's finished. Maybe creation is not a process that ever ends. And I think to some extent, the world keeps being created and keeps changing and keeps growing, because what is life without growth and change and... What is life? (laughs) Baby, don't hurt me. It's <laughs> not how the song goes. Don't hurt anyway. me. I know. <laughs> no more. But this was this was one of those moments that I was gonna expect you to like go, oh, let's talk about that. But you were just like, eh, whatever. Uh, which that's fine. No, but no, I think but I I feel like that's just like you know you would then have to have some kind of example of that in every world because you come back to Narnia. Uh, years and years and years later uh, with the children in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Uh and Narnia has not continued to be this kind of place where toffee trees grow. Uh Um, So you're like, what continuing creative energy is still in effect in Narnia is, you know, not something that's fully unknown to us, like fully known or unknown to us. We just, it's kind of like, I I don't know, because knowing Narnia in the future, like, it doesn't feel like the kind of place that you would, you know, plant the Turkish delights the Wicked Witch gave you and have a Turkish delight tree. Yeah. I mean, maybe, like, the energy of creation has slowed down somewhat, like, to, I don't know, to use, like, a real-world example from Earth, the planet that we live on. (laughs) This is a mind-blowing fact. You're not supposed to tell people that, This is top secret information you are not supposed to share. Uh-huh. Um, but to use a real world example, uh, we have processes in the world today which are still actively creating things. They're just very slow and not really on human timescales. Like we have plate tectonics and we have volcanoes creating new islands and you know we have species evolving. And it's not something that we ever get to see new things in in our lifetime, but it's still a process of ongoing creation. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. I I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that when we 
talk about the way that we've seen Narnia be created with song. Uh-huh. That there's a, an element of that song missing uh-huh. from this kind of, like, this isn't even like an echo of the song is being heard. It's just that they were like, hey, a lamppost fell on the ground and it grew into a young lamppost earlier. So let's uh, let's try making some young toffee. <laughs> Why not? Uh, so we have this fun with the toffee tree. Uh, it also doesn't grow into like the constituent elements of toffee or like, you know, uh-huh. here's a sugar cane. Like, it's just like, here's a plant that grows fruit that tastes vaguely similar to what toffee could have been yeah. if it was a fruit. Yeah, which which I can I can kind of see where they were coming from then, but at the same time, I can't because, like, we had this, uh, this thing with the lamppost that we talked about the other episode where they throw this part of it and it doesn't just grow into an iron tree or anything. Like, it was a piece of iron that grew into a full lamppost with, like, a light and stuff in it. Yes, because it had some... As yeah. you said, essence of lamp. Yes, but uh, this. Like within it. But. Yeah. A, a toffee has within it, like, this human imbued essence of being candy. Yes. Like, planting it and having a toffee tree grow would be decidedly different than having a fruit tree grow. Yes. And what they get is a fruit tree. That tastes vaguely like toffee and has papery leaves, which I was like, oh, the leaves are supposed to be like the wrapper. Yes, the papery leaves, because in the previous chapter, when they're eating it, it talks about them having to, like, not be able to get all of the paper off of the candies and accidentally Uh eating some of them. I did not, like, I saw the word papery describing leaves, and I was like, huh, that's interesting, but I didn't actually think about it as they planted paper. They planted the toffee in the wrapper. Yes. Or at least some of the wrapper got into it. That's delightful. Okay, I see. I see. This is why I'm part of this podcast. I notice these things, you know. Golly gee. Chris and his eye for detail. That's what they say. (laughs) Who has what? (laughs) So anyway, um, so we have the toffee tree and then we get back on Fledge and we fly for a bit and they smell some stuff. There's this really sweet smell that they notice. Yes. That's coming from this garden. The heavenly smell, warm and golden as if from all the most delicious fruits and flowers of the world, uh-huh. was coming up to them from somewhere ahead. Mm-hmm. And then they, they come down. Uh-huh. And okay. They come down and they find the garden they were looking wait, for. Wait, wait, wait. You've skipped over an entirely very, very irrelevantly important part of this. What is this? When they go down to the river to bathe. Oh, yeah. And they're like... Well, we don't know what Polly did because we all know she can't swim. So uh, we'd rather not ask. It's yeah. like, what the <laughs> what? What? Uh, it's the weirdest. Yeah, that's a, the that... weirdest, like, inner dialogue of a narrator who's supposed to be omniscient that I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a couple issues in this chapter with an omniscient narrator. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the first time that we have that because previously we've had a pretty consistent track record of the narrator knowing everything and what everybody's thinking and what everybody's doing. And there's a specific moment in this chapter that we'll get to later where he's just like, I don't know. And I think that's interesting and we'll talk about it. But what do you mean? Oh, we'll get there. Um, but I don't know what you're talking about. Before we get there, we find the garden. 
Mm-hmm. And it has a big old golden gate. And this is uh, this is interesting because they find the garden has a big hedge maze around, or not hedge maze, but hedge walls around it. Mm-hmm. And it has a golden gate with an inscription on it. Yes. And this immediately sent me back to the inscription on the hammer mm-hmm. and the bell mm-hmm. in the chapter called the, hmm, wait, hammer and the bell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's worth reading the inscription here. Okay. Uh, Let me do that then since uh, I wrote it down. Wrote it that down? way I okay. don't have to open the book like you do. Okay. So would you like the inscription on the Golden Gate first? Yeah. All right. Are we going to talk about the inscription on the bell as well right now? Or are we going to come we'll, back to that We'll later? compare and contrast. So. I, so these are two inscriptions that have happened in this book so far. We mm-hmm. now have this kind of inscription on the Golden Gate that says... Come in by the gold gates or not at all. Take of my fruit for others or forbear. For those who steal or those who climb my wall shall find their heart's desire and find despair. It's an ABAB poem uh-huh. uh, with no meter. <laughs> um, there's some alliteration in it. We have golden gates. We have fruit and forbear. Yeah. Uh, we have desire and despair. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, like not very poetic. It's just kind of this inscription that has an ABAB rhyme scheme and is then just saying like, yo, don't do some things. And Diggory very specifically says that he doesn't understand that last line of it, which mm-hmm. is kind of dumb because it's like the most clear line that's like, yeah. You do the thing, and you get the thing, yeah. you also get this other thing. Yeah. Like, Diggory's dumb. I mean, to be fair, we've never really had examples of Diggory being smart in this book series. Uh, he's done a lot of dumb stuff. Valid. <laughs> so, Valid. What do you expect? What do I expect? Okay, <laughs> well, we're going to get to a moment where Diggory says something Diggory shouldn't say later, but... um. Mm-hmm. We then have the previous iteration of a poem... Uh, in this book where we have the inscription on the pedestal that the bell and the hammer are sitting on on charn yes uh and if i'm right about my theory about this world of narnia replacing the dead world of charn Mm -hmm. it's an interesting echo of the previous existence of some kind of element that was inscribed upon Uh not that that matters but it matters to me in an echoey way yeah so in Charn, the inscription on the pedestal was, Make your choice, adventurous stranger. Strike the bell and bide the danger. Or wonder till it drives you mad what would have followed if you had. Which has a decidedly better meter and uh-huh. an AABB rhyme scheme, which makes it clearer that it is a poetic thing. Yeah. Because it has a better like meter and rhythm to it. Like It actually has a cadence that actually is appealing. Correct. Make your choice, adventure stranger, strike the bell and bite the danger. Like, that is much funner to look at, at least, in, a, in an audio format. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what he was going for. Yes, I mean, it looks pretty. Like, in the future, when somebody records this with digital software, the uh, waveform is going to look prettier. Yes, it <laughs> does. You don't have to use digital software to record vibrations. You Uh can use analog needles and things like that. Yeah. Seismographs and things like that. Okay, Uh like, don't get me on this tangent. Okay. We're talking about poems. Yes. Go ahead. Thoughts? Um, 
So, so you my, both come with a warning. They do. My first thought uh, coming to this passage was, who wrote the inscription? Mm, who, who indeed? Is this a thing that Aslan created with the world? Or is it one that just sits there in the world being mm. like, hey, I'm here? Because I feel like if if this is a thing that Aslan created with the world and, you know, created this inscription, obviously with the intent of somebody finding it, like, why is it, it's not even in Narnia. Like, it's way off in some valley somewhere in a place that nobody's going to look for a very, very long time. Like, yeah. it's not, like, the only reason they found this place was Aslan, Aslan was like, this is where it is, go there, this is what you're looking for. Also, like, why would Aslan create this world with this tree of life in it? Mm-hmm. But also, like, it's a direct reflection of, like, within the Garden of Eden, human beings were, according to the creation narrative in the Christian sense, placed in this Garden of Eden with a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And in this world, we've started this world with this kind of knowledge of good and evil instilled in everyone through the casting of the of the lamppost bar. Mm-hmm. And the growth of the young lamppost. You could almost say that the young lamppost is the tree of good knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And then there is still this tree of life existing somewhere out there that has to be used in some way to ward off the evil. I, I, I don't... To me, it just doesn't make sense that this tree exists in Narnia. Like... When you read Voyage of the Dawn Treader, you see that there's a lot more to this world than just the land of Narnia. And there's a lot of really, really weird stuff that happens in this land. Like, Uh there's this island where dreams come true, like, literally. And, like, things like that that happen in this world that Narnia lives in. Uh But, like, why is this tree exist? Like... Outside of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, everything that we know about the land of Narnia, it doesn't make sense for this tree to exist, period. End of discussion. It shouldn't be here. Like, this doesn't make sense. Whether Aslan created it or, like, did did Aslan, like, start creating this world, get attacked mid-creation and say, hey, I need to create something additionally that will help us ward off this evil and bring the the creation that I've brought into more security so I'm in the midst of creating going to add this in possibly but uh, like I don't understand why it's there I don't than, get it other than to be an allegory and to serve as a literary device to retell the the fall of man story yes but at this point <sighs> we've already told the fall of man story twice like I don't <sighs> Why? Like we had, we had Diggory strike the bell as kind of the first example of like temptation and the fall, and then we have the the throwing of the lamppost and the growth of the young lamppost. Like I, I'm gonna keep saying young lamppost. By the way, uh-huh. um, we have these elements that happen throughout the story that have already been an allegory for this. Why does it have to happen again? Other than to have, yeah. So that's a solid question. Uh, there's one. It is a solid question. Answer it for me. Uh, I'm not sure yet. Maybe I'll get there. Uh, one thing. Don't just I... dismiss it and move on to the next point. No one thing. Answer I... it. <laughs> Thinking. Uh, one thing I did want to get to is in this poem, uh, and Diggory specifically brings this up, is the question of if there's a gate, why would you go over the wall? If there's a gate right there that you can just walk through. It is literally 
literally just a no trespassing sign. Get over it. It's it's a no trespassing sign. Yeah. This is what C.S. Lewis means as a no trespassing sign. Okay. Because Diggory asked this question aloud and he's just like, there's a gate. Why would you climb over the wall? You can just walk in. But can you? <laughs> because as soon as he saw the gate, he knew that Fledge and Polly couldn't come in with mm-hmm. him. Why is this a private place? I know. Why? why is he only welcome upon invitation Mm -hmm. and there's a line that says something like uh they had never seen a place more so obviously private or something like that yeah like this is a place you go alone this also um and i'll bring this up when we when we eventually get to the silver chair Mm -hmm. but this to me it has very strong echoes in the way that Eustace and Poole get to Narnia at the very beginning of the silver chair. Okay. When Eustace and I think her name is Jill get to Narnia, they're running through a hedge basically and they cross through the hedge and end up in Narnia. And it, it struck me as a very similar echo of that. And I'm going to have to check and see. Uh, and uh, so the, the magician's nephew comes out I came out was published after the silver chair. Uh, so this could very intentionally be an echo of the entry method of Jill and Eustace into Narnia. I, I don't know for sure, obvi, but I, it could be that this hedge was written as a reflection of the hedge that other people enter through in the future mm-hmm. because this is a prequel and we're reading them in the wrong order. You don't have that information, so it literally means nothing. And we're going to get to it later, and you're going to be like, that's interesting. (laughs) Or you're just going to be like, huh, look, they got there. Yep, Uh, probably the ladder. Um, So as long as it's not a ladder, you go through the hedge. Let me make sure I laugh audibly (laughs) so people know that I know you're funny. Anyway, (laughs) um, so as we're talking about symbolism here, let's, let's talk about the bird. Why is... Why is the bird important? Why is the bird important? And because why is it like Diggory said later, you never know who's watching when you're in a magical place. You yeah. should be careful what you do. Yeah. As somebody who's read the entire series, I, I was just like, okay, the bird's going to come back later and the bird is somebody that no, we are aware of. <laughs> Not a clue. Not... <laughs> no idea who the bird is. I feel like that's a very obvious I think the bird comes back later to be like, Aslan the witch took the fruit or something like that in the next chapter but like uh-huh i i don't know okay uh and they find he finds this tree with the fruit and diggory should not have smelled it it <laughs> would have been better for him if he had not uh-huh because he is overcome with the desire for this and this seems like a weird design like as we're talking about like you said uh why this garden and tree are here in the first place and we have this fruit that there, you know, there's a warning on the gate about, and it's like only take this for somebody else, and yet it smells so good that it immediately tempts anyone who picks it up into, you know, wanting it more than anything. Well, they could smell it from the <sighs> yeah. flying horse. Like, yeah. you're have you ever ridden a horse? You can't no. not smell the horse while you're riding <laughs> a horse, and so you're on a flying horse. And you get this wafting sense. It's just started to rain, in case anyone is wondering. If you hear the rain, the rain is, is come, and I'm not going to try to edit that It's very out. It's very atmospheric. Um, 
so as you're riding this horse in, you just got this wafting sense of this heavenly smell of every fruit on earth. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's cool. Whatever. It's, I it, mean. Like, I, I get it. Sorry, paper. I get it. It's. This kind of fruit element, though, has kind of played out, like, at this point. It's, it is a silver apple that reflects light into other corners of the garden. It is a garden. It's a private place that he's been invited to. And why shouldn't he smell the fruit? But then when he does smell the fruit, he's got that kind of same... Not com- compulsion, but like he just kind of realizes how good it is. Uh huh. And I don't think that he's actually the the thing is that I, as a reader, don't sense an actual element of temptation here. Uh huh. Like it is never something I'm concerned about as a reader that Diggory is actually going to screw this up. Well, we. We, we have this whole paragraph about it, and I'll just read it because uh, it ties into what I was saying about the omniscient narrator earlier. And it says, But I think Diggory would not have taken an apple for himself in any case. Things like do not steal were, I think, hammered into boys' heads a good deal harder in those days than they are now. Still, we can never be certain. And here's where the omniscience breaks down. And the yeah. editor's like, Don't think Diggory would have done it, but who knows? Maybe yeah. he would have. Yeah, I mean, don't think Diggory would have attacked Polly and hit the bell, but he did. Who knows? Uh, yeah, so that temptation is there. So I guess let's, you know, well, is now the time to get into our talk about the allegory of this story? I don't want to. <laughs> That's the entire go point ahead. of this chapter. No, go ahead. Yeah. Alright, so before we before we get into the conversation with the witch, which is I guess the real meat of this chapter, let's take a take five minutes for allegory here. Obviously, this is a retelling of uh Christian narrative with the trees in the garden and uh Satan coming to tempt Eve with the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why don't you call it Jewish narrative? Why does it have uh, to be Christian narrative? Well, it is Jewish narrative. It's from the Talmud. Yes, it is. Uh, to be more accurate, it is Jewish narrative. So the my my question with this chapter is the question that I've always had in this creation story, and I I'm I'm not saying in any way that I take the the Genesis narrative of creation literally, and I think it's meant to be beautiful poetry and it's meant to be a very very metaphorical. But the 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 tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life are always metaphors which I've struggled with, and they're very mysterious. And in this chapter, you have the question of, you know, why did Aslan put this here? And why does this tree exist? It shouldn't exist in the world of Narnia, which is the same question going into this Jewish narrative of, you know, here's sorry, the... Sorry, this is upsetting me. I said Talmud. It's not the Talmud. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I said the a... wrong word. It's the same question in this Jewish narrative of, hey, God created man and put him in this paradise and then created this tree that man was never supposed to touch. Why? Well, and in this case, you then have taken that story and said that that representation of the tree that Diggory's not supposed to touch, he's supposed to touch it. 
mm-hmm. and not partake of it himself, but solely for someone else. Yes. Like, that adds a different element entirely to this discussion of what this mm-hmm. tree is. Yeah. Uh, what, so what I've always heard uh, as a theology major <laughs> from people who know things is that in this narrative, the tree of knowledge was n- not something God created that was never supposed to have a purpose and it was eventually supposed to have a purpose and eventually they would have been allowed to eat from it. But it was supposed to be on God's timeline, and you know that was that was a whole thing. Uh, so maybe this is a thing that Aslan put in the valley for a specific time. He's just like, eventually this will be important, and eventually they'll get here and well, be able to use this. But I mean, you're you're you asked why this exists, and if you're going to argue that. Uh-huh exact point he's put it far enough away that we would eventually get to it in narnia but Uh not currently yeah at it so you're basically making your own point answering your own question Mm -hmm. uh but here in this chapter we have a really important deviation from we have so many (laughs) important deviations from everything this is this is this this is the stuff I love talking about, okay, and you're so you're hating it so much right now. This story is taking reference from. Yeah, I I don't even necessarily feel like it's a full blown allusion to. It so like, is though. I like mean, it's it is it's very, obviously yes, but it's also not like you have the witch as the snake, you have the tree. It's literally described as silver apples, like. And while the the fruit in the Garden of Eden was not an apple, mm-hmm. as everyone is like, oh, it's probably more like a pomegranate. It's also but, not a fruit. <laughs> Hot takes. Anyway, um, what's not a fruit? Pomegranates are fruit. No, I was talking about my my metaphor of the. Never mind. Anyway, no, no, no. no. Explain that. I'm confused. It was a joke I about what I just that. said about Genesis being metaphor and poetry. And oh, okay. It was never a real fruit to begin yeah. with. Okay, got it. Cool. Um, so but. we have this, like, it's it's clearly the Garden of Eden. It's uh-huh. clearly the Tree of Life. Yes. She calls, uh, the witch calls it the Tree of Eternal Youth or something yep. like that. Means the same thing. <laughs> Essentially, yes, it does. Yeah. But in the Garden of Eden... The tree that they ate from that banished them from Eden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Correct. Not the tree of life. Yes. Like this is, it's like we took this kind of like, hey, what if we started in the Garden of Eden and told a different story entirely about what was happening? Like, it's not, it's, it's. The illusion is there to the Eden story, but it's also just not that. Yeah, it's a different scenario. Uh, and we have this first big deviation where the witch is... You f- keep... That's what I just <sighs> argued against. Yes, I know. I'm, it is I'm, not I'm, the ta- first, I'm comparing and contrasting here. It's not the first big deviation. Okay, what is the first deviation? You want the first deviation? It's the fact that there were people present to witness the darkness sparking into light. 
There was well, a song no, no, I meant, involved in no, the creation Not in narrative. the entire creation story, yes. just within the story of okay, this Okay, there tree. were no golden gates that separated anyone from the golden tree. They were just there. The humans in Genesis were allowed to be there. Like, that is what it was in the Torah. It was the garden where the people lived. Like, that is what it is. That is what it was. So there's your first deviation, is that there's a wall around it that separated Diggory from being able to enter. He had to be allowed to enter. Polly and Fledge could not enter. So like by by default, you've started in a deviation. So okay. don't say that the first deviation is that it's the wrong tree. Okay. And then that the second deviation is that the fruit is described as silver. And the third deviation is that there was a bird watching him. And the fourth deviation is that like... I apologize. It's not a mathematical situation with weird deviations. Like, it is just, just the entire thing started. <sighs> I was trying to compare and contrast is what I was trying okay, to do. Okay, but you're speaking wrongly. Okay. Try I'm again. sorry. I'm trying again. So, another big deviation after all the other ones <laughs> is that the witch is the first person to partake of this fruit. And she does not, like, the snake in this garden tempting the boy to take it. She eats it first. Yeah, but that's very specifically a reflection of, of Lucifer being the first one to disrespect God and just being like, nah, I can be greater than you, fool. Like, that's that's in the Torah yeah. narrative. Like, that's in the narrative. Like, this thing that exists that tempts had to already have been fallen. Uh-huh. Sorry. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm I'm frustrated with the fact that we're still talking about theology four chapters later. Because this is what the series is. This is It's not the series, it's this book. Okay. There's there is so much I won't, won't... I've I've read this series. Yeah. This book. There's a lot of heavy-handed theological references in the book. It's, it's plural. Like, a lot of them. Yes. Anyway. There so are. we come to the meat of this chapter, which is the conversation between the witch and Diggory, where witch, Satan, serpent, is trying to Just tempt... Just call her the witch. She's the, the witch. witch. Is trying to tempt Diggory into taking the fruit, and, like, tries a couple different tactics here, and she starts off saying, hey, this is the fruit of eternal youth, which, how does the witch know this? She ate it. She would know. She, would she? She ate it. Would she know it? Would she eat it? And this then, was the question I had, too. Yeah, yeah. Would she eat it and immediately be like, hmm, I feel like I'm going to live forever now. Yeah. Like that Like that doesn't make any sense. Well, she says that she ate it and then she immediately felt life flowing through her in a different way or something like that. Yeah, just like there's no signs being like, hey, this is the tree of eternal youth. There's no, nothing like that. The bird doesn't say that, at least to Diggory. Um, but she, she is like, this is the tree of eternal youth. This is what it does. Which I think is interesting because she is just as new to this planet as everybody else is. And she doesn't know crap more than Diggory and Polly do. Yes, but you also have to consider the fact that she was listening to their conversation in the trees last night. Which she reveals in this conversation. And so that's where she got all of the information that she's starting with. Which includes Diggory's concern for his mother. Yes. And his desire. Like, he specifically said that he like wanted to go to like in a couple chapters back wanted to go to aslan to ask aslan 
for fruit from the tree of life to help his mother. Yeah. And we have then got him talking about how he went, what he said the night before that the witch was listening to in the last chapter was that he wanted to go ask Aslan for help and Aslan sent him on this errand to go get this fruit. Yeah. And so the witch knows what Diggory wanted, what he wanted to ask Aslan for, what he did ask Aslan for. And so it doesn't matter what she knows or doesn't know about the tree. If she's trying to get Diggory to, like, mess up this errand for Aslan, then she's, all she's got to do is convince him to not do the errand. Like, and she could do, and she could lie in any way. Like, it, there's no reason for us to believe in any way that she's got any accurate information about the fruit. Yeah. She is just trying to get Diggory to not follow Aslan. And if she can convince him to not follow Aslan and accomplish something for Aslan, who is clearly more powerful than her, uh-huh. she might be able to get an upper hand. Like, her whole goal is to somehow damage the plans of the one entity that she has encountered ever that is more powerful than her, okay. which is Aslan. Okay. I, I see where you're coming from them. So, you know, it could be entirely bs that she's like this is what the fruit is and she you know she's pulling that out of nowhere um and i I think it's interesting that she starts this conversation by authoring offering him like eternal life and being like hey this is what this does don't you want to live forever and i was just like i feel like the witch has never talked to a child before yes and but then (laughs) we also have diggory having never been a child before being like i don't want to watch all my friends and family die yeah. Which is what I referenced earlier when I was like, this is a thing that Diggory should not be saying. Yeah. Like, if he is the age that we have <sighs> up to this point kind of referenced him as being around like 8 to 10, 11, somewhere around Yeah, there. somewhere around there. Like, this is not in a 10-year-old's head. Yeah. Like, even one whose mother is dying, yeah. like, his whole world is, I don't want to die and I don't want my mom to die. Like, that's it. Like... There is no reason for Diggory to be like, uh, yeah, no, I don't want <clears throat> to watch everyone I love die. I'm just going to go back to my world and watch my mother die. Yeah. Like, I don't want to watch everyone die. I'm just going to go watch someone die. Like, no, there's no reason for this kid to be thinking this way. Like, yeah, cool. That's a great argument against wanting immortality. But yeah. also then, like, you're talking about someone who's coming from a Christian background whose whole point is like, well, you know, you won't die. You'll go to heaven and you'll be with God forever. Like, you're not going to die. Like, you can't argue both sides of this right now. I think I might be done with that. Okay. Hey, Sorry. This is the most passionate uh, my co-host <laughs> has been in an episode for a while. Uh, I'm going to have a conversation outside the podcast about why. <laughs> anyway, so uh, she tries that angle, obviously doesn't work. Which she, the witch, I was gonna, not me. I was going to much more succinctly say, because, you know, what nine-year-old is thinking about growing old and dying? Like, no. I mean, like, even, <laughs> even with his mother yeah. actively in the process of dying. Yeah. Nine-year-olds don't think about all that old. he can think about. Like, yeah. how he met Polly was crying over the fact that his mother was dying. Like, uh-huh. this is the beginning and end of the book is him worried about his mother dying. Like, yeah, cool. 
So that's no nine year old is like, I don't want to die or I don't want to watch people die. Yeah, it's very dark. Um, and like, if he doesn't want to watch people die, sorry, calm down. Okay, so anyway, then she tries a different tact and tries to tempt him with helping his mom, which is a thing that Diggory struggles with for a while. Uh, and they have this whole back and forth where. She's just like... And you have these two non-characters in the background, just Polly and Fledge being like... Well, I mean, it specifically mentions that later at the end of the chapter, it says Polly didn't say anything because it's not her mother dying and she didn't feel like she had, a, you know, a place to, to speak up here. Like, it specifically calls out why she didn't say anything, so I can accept that. Nope. <laughs> no. No, you can't. Just because it explains why she didn't say anything, no... That doesn't mean... No. Yeah. Also, I don't know what Fledge would say in this situation. Like, he's got no... He's got no horse in this race. <laughs> um, I thought that might get you. Um, I thought of that without wanting to make that joke, but then I was like, oh, that's funny. Well, he isn't. That's no horse. That's a Pegasus. <laughs> anyway, so. Yeah, I don't know why Fledge would jump in and say anything here. Um, Except for the fact that he cares about Aslan and he's been sent on this errand by Aslan to bring Diggory here to bring the fruit back. Like, he cares about his mission. Yeah. He cares about what he's been tasked with. Which I, I also kind of feel like Fledge would be pissed off at the witch still because he remembers his previous life as Strawberry and she's, the one, and she's the one that, like, stole him. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure he'd be, you know, not too pleased about that and wouldn't want to do anything to help her. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so we have this, you know, this temptation of Diggory. But and what is here? And Diggory has this moment where he is not stupid for once. He's not dumb. He he is like, hey, I'm going to be the mature person here, and my mother wouldn't want this. Aslan wouldn't want this. I don't want this. No. And I applaud Diggory for this because it, it, it is a growth of character moment where he stands up for himself and it's just like, this is what I've been wanting and desiring this entire time, and this is my goal as a character in this book. But no, there's something more important. He is given the chance to do what he has been setting out to do this entire time and turns it down. And that's a good moment. It is a good moment. It is a good moment. Mm -hmm. It is a moment where we reveal something about Diggory's character that we haven't mm -hmm. previously talked about that mm -hmm. you know his mother's a good mother um and she taught him to abide by his promises uh -huh. regardless of what it costs him uh-huh at what point did he promise Aslan that he wouldn't take a second piece of fruit he doesn't okay, I mean so he, then he is what's just going, wrong with his promise he is just going by what the gate said basically honestly it's just like the gate had this vague riddle and it, I guess I shouldn't take one. And anyway. Um, anyway, I don't know what else to talk about in this chapter. Yeah, it like, was a really short chapter. Like It's a very short chapter. The only thing I felt compelled to talk about was the poems uh, and the fact that Diggory, uh, not Diggory, Polly 
didn't swim. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, also, we have some interesting photography notes in case you want to take photos. Um, everything looks nicer when the light is behind you. <laughs> As they're first taking yep. off on Fledge. Um, also, did you look up what a Norfolk jacket is? No, it's the second time it's been mentioned. I was just assuming it was like a peacoat or something like that. Uh, we can do a Christian research minute. Oh, don't pause anything. I can type Norfolk okay. faster than you can pause it. You also are looking for bloopers because you have been kind of light for the past couple episodes. Oh, uh, I have not. <laughs> My bloopers have been on point. On fleek. No, point. Here's a Norfolk jacket. I'm going to show you a picture. And these are ex- really expensive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's what it looks like. Okay. So apparently you can fit an apple in the breast pocket of one of those. I mean, they're huge pockets. Let's be real here. Them pockets, though. Yep. Women rejoice everywhere. Um. Anyway. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. There's not a lot else to talk about it's in this like chapter. It's like the one the doctor wears. Yep. It's a very When bright. it's played by the guy. Which one is this? Which doctor wears this coat? Um, Matt Smith. Matt's oh, yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes, yes. Bow ties are cool? Yeah. Yes. Um, That's the one. Okay. So anyway, for for all of you listeners who, you know, don't know fashion, which I'm imagining is most of Google you. Google it. I'm <laughs> not going to share an image on that. Uh, no. Yeah. Anyway. Don't care. Um, so yeah, I will not absolutely else to talk about post that. it on Instagram yeah. later. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which and Diggory have a conversation. Diggory turns her down. Lots of temptation involved. They get on the horse and they flee and they fly away. And uh, there's this. I want to fly away. There's this. I want to fly away. There's this fun moment where they fly off in the Pegasus and the witch is just like you fools, which immediately made me think of like com- fly you fools. Oh, yeah, comparison and contrasting with uh, comparison. Comparison as a new word. Comparing and contrasting with Gandalf, uh, you know. The witch and the wizard. Yep. Which, which I mean, the you, you can do a lot of comparisons with these characters, honestly, because they're both, like, on the surface magical beings who don't ever really do a lot of magic. You mean um, Gandalf and the witch? Yeah. Because, like, the, you know, the witch so far and as we've seen her has done exactly one thing that could be considered magical. She killed her entire planet with a single word. That's what she says. She threw Aunt Letty across the room. Yeah, because she's a she big, strong woman. She the horse. Yeah. I mean, as far as killing the whole planet goes, if we're establishing her character as a liar, this is what she says to everybody. She yeah, tells everybody like, this is what how happens. How else would they walk in and find her in the position that she was found? I guess enchanted that's... in the way that she was enchanted as the only living creature. I guess that in happens. a room with a bell that would wake her up. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we... also then, if you've read *The Lion, the Witch, <sighs> and the Wardrobe* and the rest of Narnia, you know that the White Witch can do magic. She makes Turkish delights appear. She can <sighs> turn people to stone. Yeah. Um, I was just saying within the context of this book. Anyway, so. Are we are we good? Are we ready to go on to Chopped and Screwed? Anything else we want to... Hang on. Let me look at my notes. Discuss. Okay. My notes say, Toffee Tree, asterisk, smiley face. <laughs> Polly didn't bathe? WTF? Uh-huh. 
plot. Uh, I did that already. Silver apple in brackets. Uh-huh. Norfolk jacket, question mark? <laughs> Photography notes. Everything looks nicer when the light is behind you. Mm-hmm. Very short chapter. How's the witch know about his mom? But then in, on, on page 88, it talks about the fact that she was listening. And I went back and read yeah. what they were talking about on page 88 when she was listening. Uh-huh. So I was just wrong. Uh, other than that, I have zero notes. So we've touched on everything in my notes. Cool. Anyway, I had my little theology discussion, so we're good. Yep. Um, All right. Hashtag Narnia chopped and screwed. So, Sentence summary. But so, a new story. Yep. So if you've never listened to the episodes before, what we do uh, toward the end of the episode is we go back through the chapter. We pick out five sentences that Don't we... read my sentences. I'm going to read my sentences. Stop looking at them. <laughs> we, uh, that we choose to write an entirely new story and we do that in whatever order as long as it's amusing uh so you read your summary first so i'm gonna go ahead and read my uh my rewrite first and i i will warn everybody this is a weird one <laughs> but oh well oh well chris hashtag oh, well hashtag narnia drop and screwed She was just throwing away the core of an apple, which she had eaten. Diggory was just turning to go back to the gates when he stopped to have one last look around. When he came back, Polly went down and had her bathe. At least that's what she said she'd been doing, but we know she was not much of a swimmer, and perhaps it is best not to ask too many questions. But quite soon, they were all sniffing the air and saying, what is it? And did you smell something? And <laughs> what's it coming from? Quick, get away now. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank I'm you. used. Yes. <laughs> Now that draws my attention once again to the fact that Polly is such a non-entity in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Like we have this one moment where she's a cheerleader, yep. where Dickory says no to the witch, and she's just like, "Good on you, man! Now let's go." Well, that, that's the way Polly's been in the last like four chapters. Like she hasn't been a character. Like yeah. since they got to Narnia, she's just like. But the thing that frustrates me the most about that is that, like, we have characters like the cabbie and strawberry and polly who have been brought along on this adventure where we have a decided like this is the character that caused the problems diggory Uh he's the one who struck the bell he's the one who brought the witch here he's the one who is like the instigator of all of these problems and then you have all of these other characters who quote unquote done the right thing and been in no way involved in this except to maybe try to prevent Diggory from doing something stupid mm-hmm. like Polly has. And they are the ones who have the least interesting story. Like this this entire thing is like, hey, here's a good person and we don't want to talk about them. Here's a person who messed everything up for an entire world. 
Uh-huh. We're going to tell his story because that's the one that's worth it. Yeah. No. Like, why would you do that? Why would you idolize a character who is so confounded? Like, so dumb. You hate Diggory so, so much no, at this point. No, I don't hate Diggory. <sighs> I hate the fact that all of the characters that are worth anything, uh-huh. like the cabbie or Strawberry as Fledge, like... These are characters who actually have something to offer of value. Uh-huh. And we're like, no, nah, they're just not. They're just going to be there and maybe kind of witness some of the mess that Diggory is going to make because he's a dumb kid. Yeah. Like, is it because they're so innocent or is and, and haven't, like, have anything on the line to risk like Diggory's mother? Or is it just because, like... Hey, good people aren't worth telling stories about. Uh-huh. Like, I don't, I just, it's so fresh. Okay, I'm going to tell my story now. Okay, okay, go ahead. Here's mine. You would let your own mother die rather than, I'd rather live an ordinary to, uh, time and die and go to heaven. Still, we can never be certain. For a heavenly smell, warm and golden, as if from all the most delicious fruits and flowers of the world, was coming up to them from somewhere ahead. He got a terrible shock. Diggory never spoke on the way back, and the others were shy of speaking to him. Hmm. Okay. You went way more serious than I did. Oh, uh-huh. I always <laughs> do. <laughs> I've only had a funny one once. About the lettuce, so it was great. That talking um, lettuce. <laughs> you gotta love a talking lettuce. You do. Um, reminded, yeah, anyway. Uh, sorry. Like, obviously, I was going for stupid, like, middle school humor with mine. Where were you coming from with yours? You Like, what was your... <laughs> what dreams may come with Diggory starring? What, the very first thing I thought of when you read that was what dreams may come. Yep. I mean, granted, because, like, what other movies really explore the idea of heaven? Because there's yeah. not a whole lot of them. What Dreams May Come, starring Diggory Kirk. Which, uh, you know, not critically acclaimed movie, but a movie I've always liked a lot. Like, it's not that good, but it's it's one of my favorites. It traumatized um, me as a child when <laughs> I walked through the room while someone else was watching it. Like, no, yeah. we're done. It's It's probably one of my favorite depictions of heaven in any media. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, I'll have to actually watch it as an adult. Oh, have TV you never? Stuff. No, uh, I own it on DVD. I have a physical DVD in this house. Oh, I know what we're doing tonight after dinner. All uh. right. <laughs> anyway, I liked yours. It was uh, it very visceral. It made me feel things. So I appreciate it. I have it. sense memories of what dreams may come. Okay. But like. In a traumatic sense. Yeah. Because I was a child. Anyway. Can't see. Uh, rest in peace, Robin Williams. Anyway, so uh, getting to our last segment, we're going to take a look at the chapter as a whole and give it a rating and say, here's how well it did what it came and set out to do. How about uh, from zero to five fours? <sighs> then we're stepping on other podcast toes and we don't want to do that. Uh, but you are always the one that dictates the rating system. I'm going to I'm gonna veto forks, but... Give me something. Okay. Um, I was going to say toffee wrappers. Toffee wrappers. Okay. Yeah. 
I'm going to go with that. That was what I was going to say. You're good at this. I am good at this. <laughs> Thank you. I'm good at something. You're good at... And I have it recorded. You're, you're, you're good at an amazing number of things, which is why I married you. Uh, Aw, you're adorable. Anyway. She's Toffee gonna, wrappers. She's going to edit that out later. I am. <laughs> Toffee wrappers. <laughs> How many toffee wrappers do you give this? So final thoughts, uh, like we said a bunch of times, short chapter, a lot of it's just allegory and references to... The... Which you like and I don't. So you can give this a very... Which I like. I, I like it in a less heavy-handed fashion. Like You feel like this is too heavy-handed? Yes. It was too on the nose. It was too heavy-handed. Again, we are talking about children's literature and, you know, if you have examples of subtle, well-crafted children's literature, please email them to us because I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, please don't include YA because we're a whole different bar- ballpark. Uh, YA anyway. and children's literature are basically the same thing. Just one involves more death. Uh-huh. And, you know, not quite sex. All right. Um, anyway, chapter was fine. I liked some of the imagery, uh, but overall it wasn't that exciting. Like, there's a really great character moment for Diggory, but nobody else. Uh, like, Polly's not a thing. Fledge isn't a thing. The witch is barely a thing uh, in terms of actual character story. Uh, three toffee roppers out of five. Like, it's very average chapter. It's, like, uh, it's, uh, it's very average. Not my favorite. Uh, we only got two more chapters left in this book. I hope the other two kind of you know, bring the noise and are better. Uh, bring, the, <laughs> bring the noise? Yeah. It's a, Is that a saying? Uh, not a current one. That was a, it was like an early 2000s thing. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I'm so <sighs> confused. So this chapter talks about a bunch of stuff that nobody cares about. <laughs> and... Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. That's my rating. My rating is just like, huh? Like, my rating rating is like one bite out of a silver apple. Talk it out like, yeah. Uh My rating, that's my rating. One bite from a silver apple. Okay. It's an inverse so, image of the Mac logo. Whoa. All right. Well, this has been our podcast, uh, Chronically Colon Narnia. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronically Podcast or on Twitter at Chronically Pod. You can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com if you feel like it or if you just want to send us your rating, or whether you just think we're wrong, or whether you really want to yell at me for saying Talmud instead of Torah. And yeah, please join. Uh, come back and join us next week for our penultimate chapter, uh, which I wanted to throw in just because I love the word penultimate. And we will, we're will. we almost done with this thing. I'm excited about getting to the next one. Uh, see you next Monday. Bye. Three toffee roppers out of five. Like it's very average chapter. It's like what's a toffee ropper? Toffee ropper. It's a toffee ropper. <laughs>
Um. Yeah, that's much better. Okay. Tink with me, Is that your sultry podcast voice? Welcome to the slow sipping hour. Where we sip slowly and loudly. For 60 straight minutes. We're getting on that asthma train. We wish you a merry podcast. We wish you a merry podcast. We wish you a merry podcast. And a happy Happy studio. Oh, I have not. (laughs) My bloopers have been on point.